Welcome to the Small Church Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we are helping the small church fulfill the big mission. My name is Brian. I'm a fellow small church pastor with you, and I'm joined by two other small church pastors who love Jesus and love you and tolerate me. Joey and Kobe, how you guys doing? I'm blessed. Oh, he waited for him. I did because you said Joey first, and I my life is dope, and I do dope things. You said Joey first, so I wasn't going to say my part because then everybody would have thought that no, was Joey. I said Joey and Kobe. This is a package deal. Yeah, man. but you said Joey first, so Joey had to say I'm blessed because he was first in the lineup. Okay, so here's a question then. If I said Dumb and Dumber, who would have gone first? That would have been you two. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Oh, that was so quick. That was, that was quick. So that was. Cool. I'm pretty happy with that one. That one's going down. That in good. That one's going down in the book. I love it. Good. Ooh, self burn. That's not a self burn. That's a me burn. <laughs> so we are continuing this series. We've been talking about books that have changed the game. And by the way, this is a series we plan on bringing out. I don't know once every couple of months or so, and just kind of talk about what we're reading. Talk about what's going on and what's happening in the wide world of books. Not the wide world of sports. The wide world of books. Okay, we're going to be mathletes and not athletes, right? So I don't know whatever that means. So we're going to be talking about books that have really changed the game for us. If you haven't listened to our other two episodes, man, we encourage you go back and listen to that. Colby talked about in the first part of this series the book soundtracks, and he passed out a book to one lucky commenter. Joey talked about celebration of discipline, and guess what Joey did? Passed out a book. To one lucky commenter. And today is my episode. And if you think I'm going to pass out a book to you, doggone it, these guys have shamed me into it. I'm going to give you guys a book. So, <sighs> reluctantly. That book is a, is a pricey book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, I was, it's not, it's not that expensive. It's not, it's, they, they just came out with a new, new version of it. It's not that bad. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you get, so, you get version one and there's 10. So yeah, yeah I'm buying an old copy that I found <laughs> at like a, a, a thrift store somewhere. No, like this is really, really pre highlighted, pre highlighted. That's right. It's not, yeah, it's, it's gently used previously on. So today we're going to talk about a book that really has changed the game for me. And so Brian, whenever you think about books, that have changed the game, what comes to your mind? You see what I did there? I did. I asked yeah. myself yeah. the question. Yeah. So today we're talking about a book, and this is a textbook, so I'm going to tell you if you are one of the lucky commenters that comments and gets this textbook sent your way, you're going to be dealing with the book that I actually used whenever I was in college way back in the day, a book called Grasping God's Word. Now, this book has been a book that I go back to once a year. This book, like I... This book is more worn down than my Bible is. Okay, like I go to this book over and over and over again because here's the thing. We're pastors and we're really good at leadership sometimes. But can we just be honest and say sometimes we just interpret the Bible the way that we're just used to? Like I think about this whenever I think about preaching. Don't talk to me about my preaching and expect me to change because I've got my system and I'm going to do it my way. I don't care who tells me anything differently. We oftentimes do that with the Bible. We approach it. Like the way that I like it, the way I'm used to it, the way I'm comfortable with it. Well, man, if I hear something and it'll preach, I just preach it, right? Just preach it, right? I don't even have to see if it's true. I just have to preach it just because it'll preach. I can do all things through scripture taken out of context. Absolutely right. And the Lord knows the thoughts that he has for you, <laughs> plans to prosper you if you lived 2,500 years ago and you were a Babylonian exile. And spent 70 years in exile, yes. right? Does God still want to do good things for you? And does he still have a future for you? Absolutely. But we've got to take the stuff in context. And so the reason that I'm bringing this particular book out is not because I want to be preachy and tell you that you're not interpreting the Bible correctly. The reason I bring this book out is it's really helpful. 
And one of the main things that we do as pastors, whether we acknowledge it or not, is we help people see how to approach the Bible. That really challenges me. Um, I think it was maybe maybe a John Piper book. I, I forget. I was listening to uh, Expository Exaltation. Yeah, that's a John Piper book. And he talked about this. He said, how you handle the text on Sunday is going to be how people approach the text on other days of the week. And so if I just use the text and then boing as a springboard into talking about my own thing, then people think the Bible becomes a springboard that they can just proof text and then get this verse out of here and then end up taking verses out of context. And it really challenged me because what I realized is I have gone through this book so many times and went through hermeneutics classes, learning how to interpret the Bible and all of that stuff. And I would go from reading the text to teaching the text to applying the text without showing the people how I got through that process. Okay. And this book helps you go through that process. Again, the book is called Grasping God's Word, and it's written by two professors, J. Scott Duvall Hayes and J. Uh, J. Scott Duvall, excuse me, and J. Daniel Hayes. And really the premise of this book, they just released uh, about three months ago at the time of this recording in 2021. They, well, I guess it may be a little bit longer than that, but they just released a updated version of this edition. And basically what this book does is it shows you how to approach the Bible as ancient literature and what tools you need to interpret the Bible as ancient literature. Um, and it really breaks it down into five steps. Anybody want to ask me what those steps are? What are those steps, Brian? <laughs> I'm curious what those steps are. So here's what those steps are. Step one, and picture this as a journey that you're going on. And so the first step of this journey is to grasp the text in their town. It's grasping God's word. And they have this great line at the end of the book, by the way. If you grasp God's word, you'll eventually see God's word grasping you. <gasps> oh. Doesn't that give you warm fuzzies, right? So step one is to grasp the text in their town. When the Bible was written, this great quote here, the Bible was written for you, but not to you. And so the Bible was written to a specific group of people in a specific context. And so when you grasp the text in their town, you're asking the question, what did this text mean to the original audience? How would they have understood this text? Oftentimes, we, we do this with the book of Revelation. We butcher the book of Revelation often. We go, well, John, he wrote this, and John didn't know what a helicopter looked like, so he explained it the best way he could. Did he, Did he, though? Like... Would John's original audience, or whoever wrote Revelation, if you don't believe it was John, would that person reading that in the first century have been like, oh, clearly they're talking about a helicopter in the 21st century. But clearly, that's what it means. It would have made no sense to them. So, like, this is, again, one of those approaches, and probably I lost a lot of listeners whenever we I said that about <laughs> it, that part of the eschatology. But we essentially say in step one, what would they have understood the original audience? And if they wouldn't have understood that, there's a really good possibility that maybe we should dig a little bit deeper into the text. Um, then the second... Can you give me an example of that? I know I'm putting you yeah, on the spot okay, Yeah, I'll give you an example of that. The book of Revelation. Whenever we go to the book of Revelation and we're like, hey, he's talking about nuclear bombs. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's talking about Nero in the first century and that audience understood that. Here's hmm. another thing. Jeremiah 29.11, we mentioned that earlier. Like Jeremiah was writing to a specific cultural context or a group of people. And so understanding what Jeremiah meant, what Jeremiah was talking to in those people, that is something that matters. And if we're not careful, we can read our own ideas into mm -hmm. the text. For example, Colby mentioned that scripture. I love it. I can do all things through what? I can do all things through scripture taken out of context. 
Well, Paul, when he wrote that, that's in thought, Second Hesitations. That's in second, hesitations. second Hesitations. Um, right. That's the book right next to First Opinions. Right. Yes. yes. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't talking about like there's a famous MMA fighter who has Philippians four thirteen tattooed on his chest. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't thinking about this guy winning an MMA championship. That's not what his. That's not what Philippians four thirteen means. Okay, I think Tim Tebow has had it up under his eye uh, whenever he played for the University of Florida, uh, which Yuck. is one reason why he's stupid. Um, <laughs> but anyway, go dogs. Uh, and, and like it, Paul's not talking about winning football games here. Paul's original context: he's in prison, and he's writing to the Philippian church. And when they read that, they would have understood that Paul is trying to give them encouragement to endure the suffering that oftentimes comes with being a follower of Jesus. So that's kind of an example of us reading our 21st century ideas into the text. And the, the term is eisegeting. We do exegesis or eisegesis. That's not Jesus like your Lord and Savior. It's spelled a little differently. But basically exegesis is when we go to the text and we pull out of the text what's in there. Eisegesis is when we force, we shoehorn our own interpretation into it. Okay. So, Thank you. It's important. Like when you read it, like the Old Testament, man, you're reading the Pentateuch. That stuff was written almost 4,000 years ago. So you have to interpret that by understanding what, what would that original audience have understood whenever they approached that. Um, again, I want to just jump on my soapbox again. Um, when you look at the last book in the New Testament, like, man, I, I'm not saying that John's I am saying John's not talking about a helicopter, but maybe he, I don't know, maybe he is like, they're like, whatever. Okay. But like, Go, what would the first century audience have understood? At least let's, let's give some credence to them because that's whom the audience was that this was written to. Classic example. Um, those of us in this room, we affirm women in ministry. Okay. Paul says some pretty harsh things about women in ministry, doesn't he? I don't permit a woman to teach. Yep. And we have our own understanding of that interpretation. And part of our understanding of that interpretation is what did it mean to whom? The original group that he was talking to. So we we do this step one whenever we do the texts that are controversial that we are leaning one way towards, but we tend to not do it whenever it leans on <laughs> something else. And and really, if we're going to be honest, it's because a lot of us just want to be raptured out and don't want to face a lot of difficulties when <laughs> that's not even what the book of Revelation is about. But we'll talk about Revelation okay. at a different podcast. No, number, <laughs> two. <laughs> number two. What's, see, what happens here is we don't have Brian kind of leading the thing. Yeah. He's leading the thing, but he's not the one that's trying to direct it like he has in the past. So one of us has to step up and got to shut him up. <laughs> yeah. you know, so, what, so what's number two? What is okay. number two? So step one is grasping the text in their town. Step two is measuring the width of the river across. So if you picture the original audience on one side of the river and us on the other side of the river, we have to figure out how wide that gap is. That gap can be widened by culture. Okay, we're for us in our context, we're 21st century Americans. In the New Testament, they're first century Jewish Christians. That's a big cultural gap, okay? So we've got that. That's a difference. The covenant, if we're looking at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, that's a cultural gap, okay? So I can't go and interpret, like we see this happen a lot. Well, the Bible says don't have tattoos. It also says don't sow your field with different types of seeds. So if you've got corn on one side of the field and you've got cotton on the other side, you're just as guilty of breaking that. It also says to don't trim the hair on the side of your beards. Like what's the cultural difference here? So step two is measuring the width of the river to cross. Example that might be, I I'm, I'm, might get in trouble here because we didn't talk about this beforehand. <laughs> so we, we look at Sarah and Abraham and go, how in the world does Sarah go take my handmaiden? That makes no sense to us in our culture. Uh, but understanding the culture of the time and understanding as they discovered these uh, laws and stuff that she had a, a responsibility providing a, a providing offspring. An heir. 
Right. Yeah, and exactly. we could lose her right as a wife for not doing that. And one of the outs was if you can do it through a handmaiden, then it's your child. Absolutely. And so in the context of what's going on in their uh, culture, it begins to make sense. Be- absolutely, it begins to make sense. But we're sitting on our culture on way on the other side of the river. Right. It looks so strange. Yeah, absolutely. And like I think about this, I was in a very powerful church service one time where we were going through the book of Ruth. Okay, and the pastor got to the part where Naomi tells Ruth to go down to find Boaz at the threshing floor. But before she does, she says, wash your face. And so that was the whole idea of this message is wash your face. And I get the point. The point is you've been in the field. You're dirty. You can't approach your destiny by being dirty with the, 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 the work of the field. So, Ruth, wash your face. Okay, I get that. But all around the sanctuary, there were buckets of water, and people would come up, and they would grab the water, and they would wash their face, and the preacher's just screaming for 10 minutes, wash your face. God wants to do something in your life. Wash your face. It was a powerful time. However, when you look at that text, literally what that means is she was dirty, and she took a bath. That's, that's what it means. It's yep. nothing more spiritual. Nothing like. And I'm Pentecostal. My Pentecostal brethren hate me whenever I talk about stuff like this because I'm like, stop being weird. She just told her, you want this man to marry you, put some freaking deodorant on. That's what she, well, I mean, ancient Near Eastern culture didn't have deodorant. But at any rate, like, we tend to spiritualize the text. Mm-hmm. The Bible is a spiritual book anyway. So we don't have to spiritualize it. It's a spiritual book. When Jesus says, love your enemies, that's pretty spiritual. We don't need to go and pray in tongues for 45 minutes and see if we need to forgive people. All right, now, just, now you got on me for con- bringing conviction last week. Now, <laughs> let's, let's, let's just move on to point three, please. Okay, point two. <laughs> Measuring the width of the river across. Here's why this is important, though, guys. Here's why this is important. When we preach the Bible that way, people think that's how we should read the Bible. Yes. And so mm-hmm. they go in. I hate going through this course and knowing this stuff because I can't read the Bible anymore. I hate it. Now, when I say I can't read the Bible anymore, here's what I mean. I open up the Bible app and the verse of the day. Today, as the day of recording this, the verse of the day on the Bible app is 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of angels and of men but have not love, I become a loud gong and a clanging cymbal. I tried to share that with our staff today at staff meeting, and we go into a 40-minute dissertation on, well, they didn't have chapters and verses. And when Paul was writing this, it's in the middle of him talking about spiritual gifts. So this is not something to be read at weddings about 1 Corinthians 13 love. This is about how true spirituality is motivated by love. Because I can't just pick a verse because it makes me feel good and not appreciate the width of the river to cross, which is step two, understanding it in their context, in their culture. And then step three would be building the, now this is a word that really gets me tongue, tongue tied when I say it, building the principalizing bridge. And here's what that means. For us to get from step one to at least beginning to live that out in our lives, we've got to have a bridge over that river. And that bridge is a theological principle. So I pick on people all the time about uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. The principle is simple. God's sovereign and he's in control. God's, that's the principle. That was what it meant to that original audience. That's what it means to us. That's the principle that we would walk across that bridge for, okay? Then you get into step four. Now, step four is really awesome in the updated version of this. Step four says you consult the biblical map. So this works out especially in the Old Testament. A lot of times we look at the Old Testament and we forget that we have to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. We're not Jews that are God's chosen people that are trying to bring about his historic plan of salvation, you know, in in the centuries before Christ. 
we're modern day believers who have looking back through the lens of the Christ. So whenever we look at this, we have to interpret it through consulting the biblical roadmap. And then the fifth and final step is to grasp the text in our town. That's where we go to application. Oftentimes we mess up and we go, well, what does this text mean to you? That's the wrong question. Like it doesn't, it means the same thing to you that it meant to them. We don't determine meaning, we discover meaning. And so this book has really been tremendously helpful. It gives you tools on how to read the Bible, how to observe things like repetition of words, figures of speech, who is, whom is doing the action. Is this the action God is doing or is this the action humanity is doing or is this the action that God and humanity is doing together? It just really unlocks the, the Bible in such a way that it's wonderful because you really see the intricacies of the Bible, but it also shows you that this is a, this is an ancient text that we have to, we have to play by the rules of that game. So it's a good book, man. I definitely encourage anybody to definitely take this, um, and, and really just spend some time diving into it for sure. So who should be reading this book? Well, that's a really tricky question because I want to be like you guys were in your episodes and be like, everybody should be reading this book. But this may not be the place for you to start at if you're not used to something like this. You may want to start with something a little bit more easy to read, like um, Fee and Stewart's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, or I think, not Chip Ingram, Skip Heitzig has a book called uh, Reading the Bible the Bible at 30,000 Feet, something like that. And these are, those are kind of more entry-level books that help you understand what interpretation is. But as for who should get grasping God's Word, if you really want to... Man, kick your Bible study habits in the butt. I mean, like you talk about like Bible study on steroids. This is the book for you. I personally think every pastor should read it. I personally think that. But if you're watching this, listening to this rather, and you're not a pastor, you may want to start somewhere else. But if you regularly teach and preach God's word, you, you need this book. So what other resources would you need to accomplish this? That's That's a fantastic question that I often miss when talking about this book. You may need commentaries. You may need Bible dictionaries. And really what I would advise people to do, if you're going to get this book, is have a decent study Bible and then have a concordance or a concordance app because you're going to go to the original languages. A study Bible, a really decent study Bible, will help you so much more than, than you realize. And when I say a decent study Bible, I don't mean like, you know, the, the Spirit-filled Life Bible because that's bent towards seeing places where the Holy Spirit is at work. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. Bible study is different than devotional reading. And so it's the difference between dissecting a frog and 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 baking a cake, right? Like it's the difference between, you know, you dissect a frog, you're tearing that thing up, and you're looking at everything that's on the inside of it. You're in a lab baking a cake. You know in a couple hours you're going to eat something nice, right? And so, like, that that's what I would encourage somebody to get, a good study Bible, probably a concordance where they can look at the original language, but don't get caught in the concordance trap because preachers are bad for, well, this word means this and this and this and this and this. Yes, but what meaning did the author intend when he used that word? Like just because a word means five different things doesn't mean that the author intended five different things. And don't you dare tell me, well, the Holy Spirit might have meant it. Shut up. <laughs> you mean you're telling like, oh, anyway. We get fired up much? Let me ask you another question. It's God's quick. holy word. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth. We'll stand before God one day over. What, what's a good source to understand culture? 
Because I got to understand from their culture. A good Bible dictionary. A Bible dictionary basically will take you through and help you understand what the culture was at the day and age that 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 this whatever particular book was written about. I'll tell you a great guide. It's called the um, the NIV. Uh, let, let me pull it up. Joey, say something while I'm pulling this up. This is. Oh, a, don't put me on the spot or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm glad he said you. Yeah. Uh. So here it is: the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. I have that on my Kindle app. I think I may have paid six bucks for it. Okay, and it is it is a theology study Bible. But what they do, they have a great great section on Second Temple literature and intertestamental stuff. It just helps you understand the culture. Like there's a four hundred year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament when a lot of crazy things happen that influences how the New Testament writers write. Like the New Testament writers. They don't use the Hebrew scriptures. They use the Septuagint, which was their translation into the Greek of their day. And sometimes when they're quoting, they're not quoting from the Hebrew. They're quoting from that. And it impacts a lot of our understanding of the scripture. And there's festivals that happen now in Jewish culture that happened in those 400 years that right. you don't talk about. That you don't, don't talk about. Right. Like, for example, Jesus is more than likely at a Hanukkah festival when he says, I'm the light of the world. But we don't see the Hanukkah festival anywhere in the Old Testament because that's something that happened in the intertestamental times. And to understand and rightly interpret that, you've got to know the culture. You can't just go, well, God's the light, brother. And like I heard a preacher one time say, they use lasers or light, and lasers are being used to heal your eyes, and God can heal your vision. What in the heck are you talking about? Like, and, 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 and people hate me because I'm like the Bible guy. I'm like, well, show me where it says it in the text. Like, where does it say that in the Bible? Show me where it says it in the text. Let's live out of the text. Here's my philosophy. God's word is good enough. We don't need to add anything to it. We just need to find what's in it. Okay. So I would encourage you. And here's the thing. We're going to post the link to this 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 podcast for the first person that comments on this. I want to grasp God's word or something along those lines. I'm going to send a copy of the updated version of Duvall and Hayes grasping God's word. And uh, if you'll give me your phone number, I'll call you and tell you everything you need to know about interpreting the Bible. Save you the time from reading yeah, it, and I'll just tell you about it. it. That's right. You don't need to read it. I'm just going to tell you what's right and what's wrong. And I'm assuming that, again, applies like with Colby's, that anybody that's associated with this podcast cannot be the first one to comment. Right? Yeah, we'll probably say that. Although, okay. I mean, if you'll let me talk to you about my opinions about this, I'll buy you a copy too, okay? Well, we're fixing to take a trip. Well, we just listened. Sure. We just listened, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'll wait for my copy to show up. And if you're interested, and more, you go to my YouTube channel where I trash everything. Okay, <laughs> well, so, tell us about you real quick. We got like a couple minutes. Tell yeah, us about your YouTube. Yeah, channel. I, I want to help people have a biblical approach to ministry. I that think a lot so of important. our approach to ministry is cultural, which is important. Yeah. But I also want to be able to be like, hey, here's here's what the Bible says about how we should do church, and here's how you understand the Bible. Like we have a lot of people that are harming people, and causing people to have a faulty expectation of God because they have a faulty understanding of the mm. word. Right? And I don't want people to be like, there's glory clouds in the air, brother. Maybe there is glory clouds in the air, but are we just enjoying this or are we going out and living on mission as Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples? So, Where can I find that? You can go to YouTube and type in my name, Brian Burgess. You can go to YouTube and type in Brian Burgess and you should see my not so pretty. Or wait, I'm changing the soundtrack. You should see my pretty face up there. And you there can you go. Right there. And we talked about some cobbler one time that you were doing. So where can they go find recipes of some of this stuff that you're doing? Pit Pastor Barbecue. Pit Pastor BBQ. You can go on YouTube and you can catch a couple of those uh, recipes that I got going on. Like and share that page too. And I can't. I can't wait to try the chicken one. So the spatchcock chicken. Yeah, I just got to find bricks now. So yep. I like it. You don't. You don't have to use the bricks. I just did. 
He's fancy though. Yeah, he's fancy. Well, they're twelve cent red bricks. Gripe a little bit. So, well, since we're telling people where they can find stuff, Joey, where can they find small church leadership? Uh, they can go on our Facebook page. Uh, deer in the headlights. Yeah, well, yeah. This, this is episode like forty three. Yeah. Every time it has deer in the headlights. Go to Facebook <laughs> and hashtag. And hashtag. <laughs> put in the search bar, small church leadership. I love this so much. This is the highlight of my day. I love it. <laughs> That's the problem when you're significantly older than everybody else in the room. So. He was expecting you to ask him about, about uh, telling people, tell people to go and give us a five star rating wherever you get your podcasts. And that's what they can do, right? That's Cole? right. They can give us a five star rating. It will definitely help. Uh, wherever you're getting this podcast, push us up. Share it. Share it. Sharing is caring. I felt like John Raffio just then. Okay, so here we go, guys. We have been the Small Church Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we are prayerfully and hopefully helping the small church fulfill the big mission. I'm Brian. I'm Joey. And I'm Colby. And we love you, man. We appreciate you, and we will see you next time. Bye now.